G'day there, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Club. It is great to have your company. Beyond the Club is here to help make Australian sports clubs places we can be proud of. I'm Ben Hook. The brains behind this operation is Sam Elliott. He is Flinders University's award-winning researcher and lecturer in sport, health, and physical activity. He's going to be along shortly. Today, we're going to be joined by Kaylee O'Donnell. She is a PhD candidate here at Flinders University, and she is an expert in developing relationships between parents and coaches. Looking forward to hearing from her very shortly. Before we do that, each and every episode, I offer up my club of the day. Today, my club of the day is the Port Adelaide Softball Club. Just won its first ever premiership at A grade level in the Adelaide Club's competition for Softball SA. More than that, though, the Port Adelaide Softball Club has been a real advocate for Indigenous issues uh, in South Australia and in softball. They actually developed an Indigenous uh, round for softball. Traditionally, uh, not something that softball has got itself heavily involved in, and Port Adelaide has been a real driver and advocate for that. So not only are they really leading things on the field, they made their first ever grand final and won their first ever premiership. It was an absolute thriller against West Torrens. But I'm giving them the club of the day in as much as anything because of their wonderful commitment to the Indigenous program that now Softball SA, the entire competition, is picking up. So congratulations to Softball Support Adelaide Softball Club. You're beyond the club's club of the day. On the other side of this break, we're going to be catching up with Kaylee O'Donnell. Sam Elliott will join me as well. But before we do that, it's a message from the Alcohol and Drug Foundation and their Club of the Year program. Lenorke Basketball is often referred to as one of the most inclusive clubs in Tasmania. We work really hard to make sure we give everyone an opportunity who would like to come along and be involved. Good Sports has been able to help us in a number of different ways. In our Sunday competition, we moved away from alcohol completely and took away that concept of having to have alcohol every time we have a function. We have received some first aid and mental health training. It was one of the best training sessions that we've ever had. We now feel confident in dealing with all issues that come to our club. We would not be able to do that without the help and support that Good Sports offered us. Kaylee O'Donnell, welcome to be on the club. Thank you for having me. Great to have you as part of the team today. Let's just start off. Why is there always that little bit of mistrust between a coach and a parent? Um, well, I think it can come from a range of things, really. Conflict is a main thing that can happen in that relationship. And a lot of the time it can come from misaligned goals, values and expectations of each other, basically not being on the same page. So do we have a problem that parents can often be a little bit unrealistic about the ability of their own kid. They often see their own kid as probably a bit more talented than what they really are. Yeah, definitely. I think that can play into it. So it definitely came up in our study that in unrealistic expectations contributed to conflict from the side of parents. What about the other side of the equation? I'm going into bat for the parents here because <laughs> having researched parents for the better half, well, more than half, but over a decade, there's certainly some published work that would suggest that coaches can be a source of stress for <laughs> parents. So... You know, you've got this one side of the coin where parents maybe become a source of conflict for coaches, a source of pressure for coaches. What about as we look at, you know, I guess this relationship through the lens of the parents? What, what do we know about that from the research? Yeah, so like you said, parents can also view coaches as a source of stress. And a lot of that can come from 
them feeling as though that maybe they're not as interested in their child as others, seeing favouritism, as well as viewing them as unprofessional. So if coaches are late to training, things like that. What adverse effect does that have on the kid? They probably feel that themselves as well, that their coach isn't maybe as interested in them as other children, especially in individual uh, sports. Can that be demotivating? Yeah, definitely. I just wonder, Hooky, there's probably thousands of volunteers out there that are coaching and Mm. many of them are parents. Mm, mm. And we're talking about a conversation of the conflictual relationships or the potential for conflictual relationships between these coaches and these parents. I guess my question is really, not all these relationships, Kaylee, are bad. You know, there's some very good examples of, I'm sure, of amazing relationships between parents and coaches. What do they look like? Yeah. Get it right. What does it look like? Yeah, we did see that. Uh, in my research, that they were good relationships. And a lot of these looked uh, like that that they had good, clear communication. Um, they usually had realistic expectations of the athletes or the child's go- uh, goals and their ability, um, as well as coaches and the parent being on the same page. Uh, they also had an understanding of each other's role in that sort of triad, the parent, the coach and the child, um, and the importance of each of those. How do you get on the same page? Because I think people would be listening and thinking, yep, understanding is important. Clear communication is important. Being on the same page is important. What's the first thing that a coach and a parent can do to work towards being on the same page? Communication is a big one. Um, and how they do might do that is, um, for example, if it's a team sport, they might have a pre-season meeting with all the parents. They might lay out their expectations, how they're going to run the season, um, the coach's intentions, um, things like that. So Ben and I have a club here. Yes, Bedford, we do. The Bedford Park Bullfrogs. Gee, um, been good this year. <laughs> I was going to go the other way and say we've been struggling, but uh, all right, we're going all right. <laughs> At the Bedford Park Bullfrogs, our, um, our made-up club here, Kaylee. what does pre-season look like? So we get together, parents are rolling up to the club with their children for the first time. Who starts that conversation? Who should start that conversation? How do we make sure that we take the first step together to keep parents and coaches, I guess, on the same page or, or, or attempt to at least build that relationship? Yeah, definitely. So it, it can be something f- uh, facilitated by the club and it can be, you know, using social events even as a way to promote or give opportunity for communication for parents and coaches to get on that same page. We talk about things like a code of conduct. Is there some sort of document that I guess delineates and that clubs can use as a guideline of what are some of the key important factors in ensuring that you can develop good relationships between coaches and parents? I mean, I don't think there's necessarily a go-to document here, Mm. but... Perhaps if you just list for me some of the really key guidelines that clubs should be really cognizant of when they're beginning a relationship between a new coach and a group of parents. Yep. Uh, So like you said, there's not necessarily a go-to document Mm. or any sort of plan at the moment. That's what we are, Sam. (laughs) That's right. We're the go-to document. (laughs) Um, But some things that um, the club can do um, is to build a pre uh, appreciation for both the parent and the coach yep. um, as they both can take on volunteer roles um, and that is volunteers are very important in you know grassroots clubs um, they should also support parents and coaches by giving opportunities to build and develop the relationship so like I said um, you know having 
not just like outside of awards nights, having social events and functions, things like that, pre-season, mid-season sort of uh, like catch-ups yep, and things like that. So, Kaylee, and I'm interested in your thoughts here too, Sam. Are we talking about almost like a bit of a parent-teacher interview? Should, should a coach actually assign some time to invest with each parent of the kid that they're coaching just to try and provide some sort of feedback and I guess clear the lines of communication. I mean, I talk about communication as being, certainly when you come from a newspaper perspective, I write one thing for 150,000 people, but that doesn't necessarily Mm. mean that all 150,000 people are going to cotton on to the message that I'm sharing. Is it important for a coach and a parent to spend a little bit of time one-on-one and for the club to facilitate that? I think it's important for the club and coaches to give that opportunity to parents. Not all of them may, like, may want to take that up. Sure. But I think just having that be an option gives for parents probably w- more will take it up than expected. Sam, you're listening into this. What, what are your thoughts around that type of subject? I mean, you've dealt with this like Kaylee has uh, studied it, researched it, thought about it. Uh, is that something that coaches should establish as part of their yearly routine is maybe a twice yearly catch up with each of their parents? Yeah, I think so. Uh, Kaylee's nailed this in my view because opportunity is what parents want. Right. And I think what Kaylee's saying is they, they might not necessarily take up every single opportunity. Yep. They won't go walk through every door that you give them, but just having the option there is better than not having the option at all. Mm. And why this is important is really simple. Along the journey, and this is what I've argued for a while, um, I'm leading a study right now which looks at how does sporting club environments set up parents for success. Mm, mm. Kaylee's research is actually sort of the, I guess the- Right in the sweet spot. Yeah, it's right there. It's, it's sort of underpinning this entire investigation. So what I'm actually doing is trying to ask the question, what is it that clubs do to engage parents for the journey? And often it might be the one and done approach. It might, but we spoke about this in that first ever episode, the, the one and done approach where we engage them in the preseason, we sign a code of conduct, yep. we say this is how you behave, and then we expect that they are set for the journey. Mm. Uh, we don't do that in school. We don't set the reception kids up and say, well, you're, you know how to learn, you know how to come to class, the rest is can be worked out. You need constant, if you like, opportunity uh, for development and growth. And so I think with the what Kaylee's sort of arguing here is really saying, well, where are the opportunities across the season for parents to lean into the club if they need some assistance, to ask questions if they're unsure? Mm. There could be some diehard fans out there, some parents that really are investing in their child's sport, and that's okay as well. Yeah. And we just need to give them opportunities to feel heard, but if you like, within a framework of what the club is about, what their values are. So I think that's the challenge. Kaylee, I'm, I'm conscious that sometimes things go wrong in the coach-parent relationship. I'm also conscious, and we've seen examples around South Australia of where parents have perhaps got a little bit over-invested, and in particular in Australian rules football, yep. where an injury can occur or a bump can happen or there can be a high tackle or something like that, and a parent wants to potentially impose themselves on the scenario that's in front of them. Are there things that coaches can do, A, to prevent it, and B, to try and minimise the damage if something like that does go wrong and and problems do occur where parents maybe clash on the sidelines or a parent wants to enter the playing field, which can be a pretty threatening situation? Yep. Definitely. So one of the, the factors that came out of my research was that a lot of the time there aren't many boundaries set. Mm. Um, so coaches taking that step to set boundaries for maybe parents who are inappropriately 
evolved, whether that's over or under, having those boundaries, making it clear and following that through. I just wonder about the listeners, Hookie, that are going to be saying it's just better when parents and coaches stay apart. Yeah. You know, the idea that coaches coach and parents, you should be seen and not heard. Yes. So from that point of view, my thinking right now is like, okay, what are the risks of that? Because for some people, they may stoically believe that that is the way forward. Kaylee, in your research and from your reading and the PhD work that you're doing right now, what is your opinion on this? What are the risks of completely separating parents from coaches for the sporting journey? Yeah, so we did, you know, previously mention that they both view each other as a source of stress. However, they did also acknowledge the role of each other and the importance that each other play. So parents are needed to drop the children off, to provide them financially, and as well as playing a massive volunteer role at the club that can help out coaches. As well as the emotional support yep. along the way after the game when the kids are upset or frustrated with how they've performed. or you know, the, the, So yeah. they're there behind the scenes as well. So, so what else? I mean, I guess the, the question really here is really around uh, the risks of you know, forcibly separating parents from coaches for the journey. What are the risks for everyone, for coaches, for parents, for the child? Yeah, so I, I know I I found in my research that parents were concerned about things like qualifications. So linking to that, if parents and coaches didn't speak, there are concerns for things like abuse, for example. I did find in the literature that athletes who went away with coaches had the potential to face more abuse if their parents weren't there. Yeah, yeah, that's massive, isn't it, Hooky? I mean, the idea that you know, if, if you intensify the relationship with the coach and the athlete, if that's really it, right, for the child's journey in sport, mm. there's massive risks with that. I think, yeah, you know, like you really need a network of social support around you, and it can't be contingent on one person, the coach. Yeah, yeah, it, it is interesting, and I'm even seeing in Australian rules football that kids at 13, 14 years of age are going on preseason camps and these sorts mm. of things. Do you think it's important, and in your research, have you discovered that clubs really need to be hyper aware of how these sorts of events are managed, the programs, and we're not talking about child safety here, right? that's uh, clearly that box needs to be ticked, but even just the capacity for the, the, the workload that we're putting on young people, how much rest they get, how much fun time they get mm. compared to the amount of time they're investing in the genuine training of, of what the coach is asking of them. Yeah, definitely. I think if the, the child or the athlete wants to do that and it's driven by them, then great. But we did also find that a lot of parents maybe having unrealistic expectations might have put that upon their children to participate mm. and takes the fun out of it for them. Kaylee, do things change the older the kids get, and therefore I guess the well, clearly the older the parent and the coach gets, but do things differ in gender and do things differ in age group? My research specifically looked at grassroots. However, I did see in the literature that that parent and coach relationship did start to drop off as the athlete did age. That's so fascinating, isn't it? That as children get older and maybe as they get more serious about their sport, that parenting drops off. And I think it's a key message for our listeners that if you are a parent listening, if you're a club listening, mm. the, the the real challenge here is how do you keep them involved? Because one, that's your volunteer source. Yep. So there's the practical solution for many of the challenges that clubs face. Two, coaches don't have all the answers because many yeah. of the coaches are also parent volunteers. Yeah. So they need some support as well along the journey. They might be away. They might be out of ideas. They might need a soundboard. They might just need to feel a community around them to yeah. have the confidence to keep going. Uh, there's, there's so many good reasons why we should keep parents involved but my question Kaylee to you is what is the role of the club in this because sometimes yeah. parents and coaches will not know 
how to instigate the first conversation. They will not know how to take a step towards being on the same page together. What's the role of the club in trying to foster these positive parent-coach relationships? I think for the club itself, it's actually beneficial for them to foster those positive parent and coach or just uh, sort of social relationships in general and that can be done through a range of ways and it's appreciating both the role of everyone at the club. So can we just like break that one down Mm. for a second? Is it as simple as saying when the parent arrives instead of asking them for their fees and sign this code of course so you're taking Mm. in this relationship you're taking away maybe you know think of a, a, a bank here hookie could could the clubs make the first deposit and instead of withdrawing just say thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your time. Thank you for trusting us to give your child a start in sport. Is it as simple as that? Definitely. I think recognition and appreciation can go a long way. We're talking to Kaylee O'Donnell. She's a PhD candidate here at Flinders University. She deals specifically with her paper in parent and coach relationships. She's going to come up with her fast four very shortly. In the meantime, we're going to take a short break and we're going to hear a message from the Sammy D Foundation. Hey. It's Shannon here from the Sammy D Foundation. Sporting clubs are a great place for people to connect, to enjoy themselves, and to celebrate the game. But at times, things can get out of hand. That's where our PartyWise program comes in. Our PartyWise program gives you the knowledge and strategies around alcohol and other drug use. We educate and empower your club and its members to understand the harm and impact of alcohol and other drugs, the different type of drugs and their effects, and strategies to keep you and your mates safe. To learn more about the PartyWise program, call us on 8374-1678 or find us at sammydfoundation.org.au. You're listening to Beyond the Club. You're with Ben Hook and Sam Elliott. Our special guest is Kaylee O'Donnell. She is an expert in the relationships between coaches and parents. Kaylee, each and every episode, our Fast Four. That's where we try and offer four practical bite-sized, simple to understand examples for all of our listeners that they can practically apply, whether they're a coach, a parent, or a club administrator. Let's get it underway. Uh, You've got your four points here, and I love them, but I really want you to bust them down for me. So you've got here, promote and value formal and informal skills and credentials of all coaches. What do you mean by that? By that, I basically mean highlight the good that are in our coaches. So not all coaches that work at sports clubs may have qualifications. Some may be volunteers. Some might play the sport themselves and are helping out. Um, And I think it's highlighting that the skills and qualities that they have can contribute to a good club. Brilliant. So you're actually advocating that clubs almost sell their coach and sell the skills that they've got yep. and therefore the in the particular benefit that the kid and by extension the parent is going to get from working with this coach. Is that about right? Yeah, yep, yeah. definitely. So we're talking about they don't have to be necessarily have been a great player of the sport in the past. They don't necessarily have to have extensive coaching qualifications, but they might be really good at structure. They might be really good at... I guess, establishing teaching methods through their vocation, their occupation that they're in. They might be a teacher or they might be a police officer or something like that. Yep, definitely. Taking the skills that they use every day in their work or their job and applying it and giving their strength to the club. Sam, what do you think? I love that because what it really shines a light on are the things that actually matter on day-to-day basis, relationships, conflict resolution, organisation. And sometimes those things can be developed in so many other areas and then feed in, I think that's what you're saying, feed into that volunteer coaching role. So really 
putting the spotlight hooky on the things, the skills, the strengths that individuals bring to the role rather than this person's got a level three AFL coaching accreditation. Well, you know, that's great to some degree, mm. no, no question. And it should prepare them theoretically to coach. But at a, at a grassroots level, at a community level, um, sometimes you don't have those opportunities. So no. you take whoever you can get. And if it creates doubt in the minds of coaches or parents that, geez, Kaylee's not a great coach or Sam's not a great coach, yeah. you get on the front foot. I think at the start of the season when you appoint Kaylee to that volunteer role of the under-14s football club, highlight that this is someone that's very knowledgeable and is very organised and is someone that brings great skill to the role. I think that's really important, even though she may have never coached a game in her life. Just a quick question without notice for both of you. On that basis, if we're talking about someone who has a skill set in some areas but maybe is a little bit deficient in others, is it appropriate to highlight that maybe, you know what, if you're looking for this out of this coach, we're probably barking up the wrong tree. I mean, if I was a coach of kids, let's say in tennis, and someone says, well, Ben's a great coach because he's played cricket at a reasonable level, he's got a really good inherent understanding of sport, but... You know, I don't know which end of a tennis racket to hold. Should we be actually just sort of saying, look, if you want to get beautiful forehand and backhand, Ben's not going to be your guy. But if you want to understand tactical, if you want to understand fitness, if you want to understand mental preparation for dealing with the stresses of sport, good coach. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think it's good to highlight the strengths and all um, while also, you know, acknowledging that others may be able to help in areas that others can't. Love it. Brilliant. Beautiful point. And that, that? Yeah, absolutely. And what I was going to say is there's nothing wrong with putting your hand up and saying, this is the first time I've done it. Because what it does, that information starts to temper expectations. Yeah. If you come in and try and oversell yourself. Uh, or expect- be, the, be the the elixir, mm-hmm. the cure-all. Yeah, if yeah. you try and basically um, overcompensate, then what tends to happen is that people around you in that environment inflate their expectations. Mm relative to the information you provided. But if you come out and say, you know what, Hookie, this is the first time I've ever coached tennis. I've watched it. I'm passionate about the sport. Mm. I've got a lot to offer. But in terms of the tech, okay, the technical aspects of the game, that's not where I'm going to be able to really assist. But what I'm going to do is I've got great people skills so I can go to the other coaches and I can learn, you know, about some strategies or some tactics or some some drills, whatever it might be. I can go to the club because I'm resourceful. So there's certain ways in which you can problem solve your way through. And I think what parents will understand invariably is that this is a tough role. Mm. Being a volunteer coach is never easy mm. and it takes time and no one is perfect. Yeah. So I think just tempering those expectations by just hand on the heart, this is the first time I'm doing this, is actually okay. Yeah, fair enough. Um, your nickname should be no one because no one is perfect. Uh, an intermediary role to facilitate communication could be beneficial. So Kaylee, uh, what is an intermediary role and how does it facilitate communication and how can it be beneficial? Just break that down for me, please. Yep, so basically it is the connector. It's another person between the parent and coach. Sometimes coaches are quite strapped for time. Maybe they have multiple sessions, you know, with maybe a minute between minute or two between them yep. and they can't see 15 parents. Sure. So having someone, maybe someone who's sociable around the club to help yeah. out and sort of facilitate that communication, making sure everyone's all right, it's on the same page. And just checking in. Yeah, and checking in. So sort of like the check-in person. Is the coach and the parent, because people can stew, can't they? Mm. And they yep. can stew to the wrong people. Yeah. So giving them a, an opportunity, or I guess just checking in and saying, hey, everything okay, and offering the opportunity to actually put the hand up and say, no, I do have a bit of a problem and I'm not sure why this is wrong. And suddenly you can just re-establish those lines of communication. What, it's like a conduit. Yeah. Or 
An extension cord. The connector. The connector. (laughs) I think it's really important because the last thing you want is a parent group basically creating a WhatsApp group or a a private group on social media. And sniping. Absolutely. We don't want to be potting the coach that's really trying their best, right, even though they might not get it right all the time because, of course, they are volunteers. They are just doing their best. Um, So I think you're absolutely right there, Kaylee. I think it's a great idea um, that clubs try and find ways to support the club and the coach and the parents and put the connectors in place to – to support those conversations. Point number three, support coaches to manage relational boundaries. Now, we were discussing off air what a relational boundary is. Just explain Mm. it for us and how can we support coaches in that? So I think it's basically ensuring coaches have a boundary Mm. for parents who may be over-involved. Maybe they're ringing them in appropriate times, trying to get feedback every single time, giving a sort of time, a date, a place for that to occur sure, and setting that boundary. And not all coaches may have the confidence to do that. Yeah. Not all coaches may even be aware to think to do that. They might just, you know, go the other way and be very agreeable and want to appease everyone. So and, is and this suddenly be available 24-7 yeah, absolutely. At, at everybody's whim, beck and call. Absolutely. So it can go both ways, right? And so I guess is the advice here that clubs need to really support coaches to develop those skills to set the boundaries? Yep, definitely. So coaches come along with their, you know, coaching skills, but it's also important for them to have skills in other areas, such as, you know, communicating those boundaries and the club should help in that. It's a really interesting point. I've spent the last couple of weeks working with Malcolm Blight. Now, most people would hear the name Malcolm Blight, who's listening in and think one of the all-time great coaches in South Australian sport, absolute elite level. The Messiah. The, the Messiah, coached the Adelaide Crows to two premierships in 97 and 98. Now, I mean him, who was full-time coach, very well paid, he set extensive boundaries. Mm-hmm. He would say to his players, if you've got a problem, well, don't ring me on Wednesdays because that's my golf day. And don't ring me on Fridays if you've been dropped because I'm too worried about the team that I've actually picked I'm concentrating on them to get them up and playing. So he was very keen on setting boundaries as one of the all-time great coaches. So it shouldn't be something that coaches here at this level should shy away from, just saying, hey, look, I'm available to talk, but I'm only available to talk on Tuesday nights from 7 to 9. If you want to get in contact with me, then great. Otherwise, hold your peace until the following week or the the match and those sorts of things. So I think it's a really good point. The Malcolm Blight is, uh, example is such a really good one because what you're highlighting is these are the times when it's just not possible. It's just not possible to build a relationship, to, to communicate the way that you need. But what it is also highlighting is any other time, and maybe this, I'm not sure how the conversation went, but I'm guessing there are other times though. There are other opportunities that I am absolutely available. And I think that's really key uh, to Kaylee's message here that, you know, it's okay to set boundaries as long as they are agreeable, they are workable, and, and they can change across the journey. Maybe you change your job and suddenly you're more available and more interested in your sport and you want to give back more. And so things can change along the journey. But I think the skill set there is that clubs need to help coaches to do that. It's, yep. not, it's not always easy to set boundaries. Kaylee, bring us home with point number four, develop opportunities for parents and coaches to share goals, expectations and values. What do you mean? So it could be setting up social events, having pre-season parent and coach sort of check-ins, mid-season, pre-season, or even something like a parent and child training session where the parent can sort of see um, what what the coach is doing and how they conduct their sessions creates a good relationship. Do you like that, Sam? I love that. I actually remember seeing something on social media. It was in the AFL 
the Melbourne Football Club invited past players to a training session and they did the warm-up together and there were past players. What tends to happen, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, Kaylee, but um, there's a lot of players that at the elite level, when they retire and several years later, they engage in a very new lifestyle, uh, a very relaxed lifestyle. And so maybe the intensity of the training that they have done for, you know, 5, 10, 15 years at the elite level affords them some, if mm. you like, some, I don't know, some some downtime, you know, in <laughs> retirement. So they were coming, a lot of these guys are out of shape, okay? And so they're coming back and doing this training session, but it built some culture, it built some belonging. And it was a beautiful thing to see, like 150 people doing the warm-up together, some guys jogging through because they were literally, they have not run since their football days, but there are others that were trying to, you know, relive the glory days and still feel <laughs> a part of it. Um, and I can see that translating into the junior level, just some parents yeah. getting involved and being part of that, that with their kids. I think it's a great idea. Kaylee, magnificent episode. Really enjoyed your contribution. Thank you so much. We've learned so much out. I've learned so much out of that. I reckon, Sam, you got a fair bit out of that Absolutely, as well. Absolutely, yes. I reckon you've come up with some really wonderful practical ideas that our listeners are going to really appreciate and be able to activate and just put into place at their clubs in the coming days and weeks. So thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Club. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Kaylee O'Donnell there. She is our expert on the relationships between coaches and parents. She's a PhD candidate here at Flinders University and uh, she has been a wonderful guest for us. Kaylee, thank you so much. Thank you. So that's a wrap on this episode of Beyond the Club. You can access the resources mentioned in this episode in the show notes or by heading to our webpage, flinders.edu.au forward slash shape. I'm Sam Elliott on Twitter. I'm Kaylee O on Twitter. I'm Ben Hook One on Twitter. The podcast is on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, you name it. Thanks to our crew in the Flinders Good Vibe Factory. Our producer is Shana Knowles. Our music is by Ben Watson and our artwork by Alicia Menzel. We appreciate the contribution of all of them. Thanks for listening to this episode. We'll see you next time on Beyond the Club. Beyond the Club.